From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Doctors have a lot to learn in medical school, but when they graduate, they have to be able to use that knowledge to help patients, so they have to be able to communicate with patients. Educators at Upstate have an innovative method for helping new doctors polish their communication skills. And here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio to tell about this program is Dr. Stephen Knoll, a professor of medicine at Upstate and the residency program director, along with Stephen Cross, who's a professor of drama at Syracuse University. Thank you for being here, both of you. Thank you. The program is called Education Through Theater Arts, and some of the administrators from Upstate gave a presentation about it at the Innovations in Medical Education Conference in Los Angeles recently. Can you tell us how that was received, Dr. Null? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to uh, be present at that, but as you said, we did have representatives from the Department of Medicine and graduate medical education programs here at Upstate, and uh, it was extremely well received. Many of the programs uh, around the country that saw what was presented we're fascinated that we were able to do something so different because uh, we're fortunate to have this ability to partner with Syracuse University, who has a department of theater. Most medical schools don't have that opportunity. And so nearby. Exactly. Like, literally almost down the street. But um, now let, we also ought to say resident, what that means. That, that's a doctor who's completed sure. medical school? Or? Right. So a medical student, just four years generally of education. When they finished, they received their uh, degree, which could be a medical degree, MD, could be a, a doctor of osteopathy, DO, and then they enter into postgraduate training, which we call a residency. Okay. Well, let's talk about how this program works and how you connected with Dr. Cross. So it actually started with a communications program that I developed, and I've actually spoken on the radio before, uh, called Learning to Talk or treat all like kin. That was something I started back in 2008, very much a communications program using standardized patients, a very a variety of challenging communication exercises that we do uh, on a yearly basis for approximately now about uh, 110 uh, postgraduates, so residents. And I wanted to do more. And um, really it was through a variety of sort of circumstances and connections that I was able to uh, finally meet uh, Stephen. And uh, I approached him with just some of my interests. And given his area of expertise, we talked about creating a program that could allow additional learning, but through an entirely different and innovative program. And to be perfectly honest, Stephen has taken this and really has launched it into something pretty spectacular. So, um, Stephen Cross, part of the Department of Drama at Syracuse University with an expertise in movement for actors. And then I also read that you have um, were involved in the Iron Irondale Ensemble Project in Canada. You were the founder and artistic director for. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, my background before coming to, to work at the Syracuse University Drama Department was pretty much in the kind of work that, that I've been able to do with... Um, Dr. Knoll. Uh, it's community-engaged theater. So what that means is um, in the theater world, we're about, you know, a particular, you know, it, it, we're, we're about communication. Uh, in the drama department, we're, we're about, you know, taking people, young people in and uh, helping them to essentially learn how to, how to be uh, uh, authentically human on stage in in a in a and to and to 
to read as as very real, if you will, or truthful, um, in an unreal situation. Being on stage is 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 not reality. <laughs> it's a it's a play, right? So what I learned a long time ago, and I didn't invent this. This is this is something that I picked up through my work uh, with originally the Irondale Ensemble Project in New York City, uh, which is the original company, and then I founded a second company in Canada. Was um, I learned processes and uh, techniques and principles that that had to do with with how we can transfer the skills that we apply to the training of an actor to things that had nothing necessarily to do with theater. So um, uh, interestingly, theater is drawn from real life. Uh, and so there is already a corridor, if you will, or a communication, uh, a line of communication between the theater world and real life. And so I guess in a way what we've done uh, with the Irondale Ensemble and then here in this in, in uh, Syracuse with the Building Company Theater, which is a new uh, relatively new theater company that I founded here that does the same work is we just kind of reversed the process. So now we're taking theater takes, you know, learning from real life and brings it into the stage. And I guess what we're doing is we're taking things that we've developed in our rehearsal rooms and our training rooms in the theater, and we're sending it back down. So, so that we, we found that what it, what you need to become real on the stage, uh, to be present, to be human, to be in the moment, to be listening, to be empathetic, that, that all of that stuff, uh, you know, we did such a great job in the theater and learning how to train people how to do that uh, in an unreal situation, we found that those same exercises can go right back down the corridor and work with people that aren't necessarily interested in becoming actors, but you, you still have to deal with human beings your whole life, right? So, so it's, it's a lot of life skill development, I think, is, is a way that it, I think that's, that's what we've done is we've found an innovative way to help people develop, nurture, um, enrich, you know, their life skills. And so it's not it's not that you're teaching doctors to act a certain way. You're just pulling out of them their authentic. Exactly. Beat. Exactly. That's great. Yeah, exactly. It's already there. It's just part and parcel of being human. The demands of being a resident, uh, and which which I only can I only know about secondhand because I've never been through it. But but you know those demands, like any profession, maybe more so in the residency program, given given um, you know the frontline work that that medicine is is involved in, the sort of boots on the ground, first responder work, the stresses involved with that. Uh, it can you know it can it can create barriers between you and and your natural abilities. So we're we're hoping that the theater work can help, um, you know, open those barriers up, create create openings. And well, let me get back to medical school and ask Dr. Knoll, um, why is this part of graduate medical training? Because it it doesn't sound like it would be, you know, a logical thing to include in medical skills. But so why is it part of the uh, training here? Well, so it's it is not it's not a mandate that we do something like this. So this was really something that is, I would say something I'm very much passionate about. Uh, communication is paramount. We, we are humans taking care of humans. And I think um, over generations, we've been educated on being wonderful scientists I think that we're, as a whole, very bright, 
Uh, I think that we all go into medicine because we deeply care about helping people. But I do think that along the way, the, the trials and tribulations of training and the real work of medicine can make that human interaction a bit more challenging. And this is an opportunity to really bring back that human interaction during one of the most difficult times in your medical training. And if you can do that now, learn that skill now, become authentic now, the likelihood is that's going to be continued, hopefully even improved further because medicine is lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. And so that's to, that to me is why it's so vital that we do this while we're young in our profession rather than ignoring it altogether. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Stephen Cross, a professor of drama from Syracuse University, and Dr. Stephen Knoll, a professor of medicine at Upstate and the residency program director. What makes communication such a challenge? It Shouldn't that be like a natural thing for people? Why is it, why are there challenges to communicating? I think communication, it's interesting that, that Dr. Knoll spoke about lifelong learning. I think communication is one of those things that we tend to take for granted. And communication, the spoken word itself, is, of course, just one very small part of Right. Um, and, and in fact, uh, I would go so far as to say that our, our uh, socially, certainly politically, we're, we're dominated by those who are good word smites, you know, people that can, can put together sentences and construct arguments, etc. Um, so, but that level of communication, which, which I think dominates... Um, it has, has not necessarily anything to do with the physical or emotional, uh, the, the, the overall human being, right? Um, and there are whole, whole segments of our society who uh, have not necessarily, either that's not how they communicate at best, you know, lots of us are, 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 are more, you know, dancers dance and, and singers sing and, and artists, visual artists paint and construct things, etc. So the modes of communication are, are throughout human history and certainly today are, are myriad, uh, but uh, in 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 today's world there is there's a kind of a hierarchy and and we, if we get channeled in one in one direction if it becomes just the spoken word if it becomes just sort of the internet language then only a few people are going to be able to dominate that or feel comfortable in that world of communication and so then a lot of the other folks or even the parts of us. Um, you know that that we want to use to communicate. Uh, uh, we we don't we don't exercise them so that they remain kind of dormant or um, what's the medical phrase for hytrophy for something that doesn't get used so it sort of falls into disuse or atrophy. Yes. Atrophy. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Right. 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 Atrophy. That that uh, I, I think that's what happens with communication. I think I think we kind of get we kind of get one part of us is really good at it. It's like my son. Uh, I didn't grow up with with cell phones and stuff and texting, right? right? So my thumbs are a fifth, you know, or my generational thumbs, my son's thumbs, he's like 19. <laughs> so there's part of his body that is absolutely activated and alive. He communicates extremely well with this. Other parts, uh, and I won't talk about my son anymore because that won't be fair, but, you know, other parts of us, we don't exercise and we, we don't develop. And I think one of the, and, and so they, they atrophy. And I think one of the things that, the communication work that we that we uh, we go after with with the uh, uh, education through theater arts program, the residents, is to give them access to that to the rest of their of themselves. When so, you uh, when you said the word hierarchy, I thought you were going to talk about 
you know, you've got the physician-patient hierarchy, if you will, and what that does to the communication. Because you're looking, are you trying to kind of build a two-way back and forth? So I personally don't subscribe to the hierarchy. I think that is part of the issue as it relates to communication. When we think of ourselves as being somehow above those that we care for, we're humans taking care of humans. We certainly, I hope, have the knowledge to be able to provide that care, but knowledge can only go so far. If you can't communicate and you can't emote a certain type of empathy, you're never going to connect with the, and it's not just as a doctor, I'm in any relationship, right? So I look at the physician-patient relationship as a relationship like all other types of relationships. There's trust that has to be developed. And, you know, I, I sort of think about we're sitting here, the three of us having a discussion and your listeners are hearing it. It's very different than seeing it. What would your listeners be taking away from the three of us right now if they were also watching this through some type of video? Watching our hand motions, how we connect. What what are our facial expressions? What they're only getting is our words, but inflection in our voice. Right. They're not seeing my hand motions, my smiles. That's part of communication. The other difficulty, picking up on Stephen's point, excellent point too, about how how the visual versus just the audio, how much more there is to take in is, and one of the things we work on a lot, um, uh, and this will be news to Steve because <laughs> he hasn't actually been able to come in and view these because, uh, well, we just we just figured that, that that it's probably easier for the residents. Yeah, to I feel. chose not to. It sounds odd. Yeah. I just chose probably better for me to not be there because I don't want them to feel a pressure to sure. do something. Right. Let and, them be free. And that call, I think, is, is absolutely appropriate. Um, we work a lot on being present. So going back to your question about communication difficulties is it's not only that the people who are listening to this program are, are, are only hearing it, not seeing it. It's also that they've got a hundred thousand things on their mind. One of the things that I found and uh, Steve can correct me on this is I feel that residents are often feeling like they have to get to a right answer. They kind of have to somehow hear what's going on and come to some kind of a conclusion or a diagnostic kind of, some kind of a result, um, which can take you out of the present. So it means that you are not actually seeing and hearing and experiencing what's really happening to you right now. You're there, but your head someplace else. So it's sort of a, a, um, a line in the theater about, you know, how joyful it is when we can actually get our minds and our bodies in the same place at the same time. So, so uh, I think that's a hindrance to communication. Well, there's certainly challenges in medicine with uh, here you are as a physician having to talk with a patient potentially about something, you know, devastating or a crisis that you're having to get them through. That has to add to all of that as well, right? Yeah. Agreed. And then not to mention the language of medicine, which many patients can't understand some of the words doctors use. And that's some of the work that we do in our other communications program, the Learning to Talk program, is really addressing what you're talking about. It's, it's, we, we have a language that's not a language that's necessarily understood by all. We need to speak their language, not expect that they understand ours. 
Well, let me ask you, I was going to say, are there physical things a doctor can do to improve their communication? And one of the things maybe, you know, do you talk about, you know, the white coat and what that does to the relationship? Is that useful? Is it good? Yeah. I mean, we we work with physical uh, presence, to use that word again. Uh, So when when uh, the the residents when they first started coming down to the theater um and, and i guess this is word of mouth sort of filters through the the house staff but they would show up essentially dressed with white coats and stethoscopes and pagers and they looked like a team of doctors and then slowly we encouraged them to divest themselves of that stuff and and they and now they arrive in sneakers and you know they're essentially a little physically present I mean uh, they present more relaxed they they kind of come in and 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 I think it's the culture I think and which is a really cool thing is is I think that the culture of the theater over the years that we've been doing it in cooperation uh, with in, in partnership with upstate is that there has become a kind of an understanding that this is part of what it is to be a resident at, at upstate is this this the other look, thing this theater right, this right. this feel right and that on these mornings you can go and grab a coffee, show up at the theater. Um, we begin doing exercises. I think I think people still arrive uh, for the first time. They arrive a little kind of nervous, and so they're physically kind of. But if pretty soon that drops away because they realize that it is about group. It's about group mm-hmm. work. It's about team. It's about it's about people supporting one another. It's about trust, uh, and it's not about them having to sort of stand up and deliver um, all by themselves. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. So, and I think you know it's. You hear now a buzzword in medicine is about burnout. You hear that a lot. Um, And you hear about wellness, resilience. I believe that the work that Stephen is doing with the house staff is an opportunity for them to really become more well, if you will, and to develop that resilience because, again, they're learning to be authentic and the stresses, the, the trials and tribulations of residency sort of goes away, right? They, they show up relaxed. And that's not necessarily the way residency is generally practiced. That's not the way you see it in school. So this is just a, such a unique opportunity, not only helping to develop these lifelong skills, but it's a great way to also promote wellness. Well, if you think about it, most people go into medicine because they want to help people yeah, exactly. genuinely. Yeah, exactly. And this... You know, and we, we we often have an opportunity at the end of sessions to just have a little bit of talk back. Uh, and that is something that gets said uh, uh, repeatedly is, you know, we're here because we really want to do something on behalf of humankind. You know, we and there there is this other. So there's the humanity side of it. And then there's this sort of hard science that kind of right. has to be present because you're dealing with. So, so many things, so many procedures, so much understanding, so much knowledge that it's all about, you know, empirical data. This is what the body does and doesn't do. And I think this does give them an opportunity to, to exercise that other side of themselves. And, and it's interesting how many of them actually have a background in the arts as, as, as students in high school or, or maybe even undergrad that they were participating in plays or music or a lot of dance. Um, and I just want to take a moment to, to make it clear that not every teaching hospital or university hospital would understand the value of this. So I really want to make sure that, you know, that I say thank you to Stephen because, um, you know, the arts aren't always embraced in this way in terms of, you know, what the value that they add to other 
disciplines. Well, we've talked about uh, what the physicians are learning, but what about the patient? Are there things that either of you can recommend that he or she do to improve their communication with their doctor? I think that's an excellent question, and I'm not sure that I have the right answer at the tip of my tongue. I will tell you, I think that the standardized patients that we have through our standardized program, it's an opportunity for those individuals who are patients just like all of us to practice the skill of being the patient, right, and the communication with the learners. So I would, I would argue that, yes, by involving yourself in the education of the trainees probably is going to help to make you also more understanding of what it is that the docs are going through mm-hmm. and probably help you to then relate better to your physician moving forward. But I, that's just an initial thought. I'd have to give it a lot more thought but, to uh, give you a better answer. I would certainly support that. Uh, I am a patient often, and I, I recognize that I only go to see my doctor when I'm in trouble. You know what I mean? I don't hang out with my doctor any other time. I don't get to see my doctor throw a Frisbee. I don't get to see my doctor, you know, play with their dog. I don't get to see my doctor anything except when I'm in trouble. So uh, I have over the last several years working with these residents have actually uh, on one or two instances, I've been in an examining room waiting for, you know, the, the, the doctor to arrive. And one of the residents has walked in uh, and, uh, it's it's always causes me to, to go, okay, right, yeah, that's right. So these people do this too. Okay, so but but what it what it causes me to understand is that as a patient, I am illiterate in terms of what it is that a, a resident goes through and what it what a doctor has to be, and the fact that that there is a human being standing there in front of me and that the human being is doing the best that they can to make sure that I am comfortable being looked after, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's an excellent question. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's probably some, somewhere in there, there's more work that can be done somehow yeah. to, to bridge that gap. Yeah. Agreed. You know, one of the programs that we're involved in that has grown out of it, out of the ETA program, or the ETTA program, is, is work that we do at the VA, yeah. where we were brought in, uh, again, you know, thanks to Upstate's um, um, vision, to help bridge the gap between residents who rotate through the, the Veterans Administration Hospital Many, if not most, of the veterans' hospitals in the U.S. are teaching hospitals or part of a teaching program. Um, and, you know, the veterans are generally older mm-hmm. I mean, by at least 30, 40 years than the residents. So there's that difference. They also have a military culture, which is a kind of specific culture mm-hmm. when you start to research into it, how people feel about having been part of the military, how they, um, you know, how they feel about, you know, the practice of medicine. So... Um, you know, that program is specifically about helping uh, residents understand their patients better. Hmm. Uh, we haven't yet moved to the point where we're working with the patients so that they understand the resident better. Yeah. But it's certainly part of the, it's part of what we talk to residents about is, is that, is, is to accept and understand that there is a difference here, a gap. And that if you're struggling with that gap, it's, it's kind of natural to struggle with that. It's not sure. something that you automatically are going to be able to, to understand or to solve. You know, It's a real thing. Yep. Well, sort of on the horizon, we hear a little bit about artificial intelligence and the increasing role that it's going to play in all of our lives and in medicine. And so I wondered if either of you think about you know, how to make sure humanity 
is part of AI. Yeah. I think, it ha- I think it has to. I, there was just a story, I think uh, last week, major news about, uh, I'm sure, a very good physician who had to connect with a patient via tele to deliver news. And the physician may have done an excellent job in delivering the news, but at the end of the day, the physician wasn't Wasn't present. present. They were. And yeah. that was really the crux of that article was how was that leaving the patient right so there was no intent it was we're busy we're trying to do good work i'm sure the individual delivered the news beautifully but at the end of the day that that's where that human touch that connection is so vital and i am skeptical i'm very practical I, yeah i mean we have to embrace technology it's the reality of what we do and it definitely helps Sometimes it hurts, and I'm concerned if we allow AI become our means of communication. I don't think that it's ever going to be able to become fully human, which is what we're trying to teach, so the importance we, of being human. If we have a, hey, Alexa, what's my diagnosis moment? Uh, that's At least my, um, based on my, uh, my workings with Alexa at home, I doubt it will provide any answer of any value. Yeah. <laughs> You might get an ESPN kind of basketball stat, you know. Well, we're early in the stages of this development, but there's, you know, people are talking about this in terms of like the medical future and how that, you know, what this, what role that's going to play in medicine. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, uh, I mean, my thoughts echo what Steve says. I I, I suppose moderation and balance, you know, that that Mm -hmm. some, some areas technology is going to be better than, than, than the human presence of the human touch and in other areas technology is going to fail miserably (laughs) so somewhere in the middle well this has been an interesting discussion i thank you both my guests have been stephen cross a professor of drama from syracuse university and dr stephen knoll a professor of medicine at upstate and the residency program director i'm amber smith for upstate's podcast and talk show health link on air